The disappearance of Rennie Jost is complex. It involves at least two conflicting points of view, neither of which give much credence to the other. Nevertheless, it's been over two years since Rennie disappeared, and both his family and friends have little answers about where he is. Despite their disagreements about what happened to Rennie, nothing changes the fact that he is still missing and that he may be in danger. Just a quick warning, this episode contains explicit language that is not censored, so if you have little ones nearby, you might want to listen to this later. March 2014. Rennie Jose is a 22-year-old mechanical engineering major at Rice University in Houston, Texas. He is but a few months from graduating, and to celebrate this major accomplishment, him and an extended group of friends decide to take a road trip to Panama City, Florida for spring break. There are various accounts of how many people went on this trip, but in total there was somewhere around 20. I spoke with Rennie's mother, Shirley, about her son and the events leading up to and after his disappearance. I want to start my questions with just a little bit before Rennie leaves to Panama City. What was his demeanor like before he left to Panama City? I I can tell you one thing. It's like they all planned together to go to Panama City for spring break. Only thing I know is he got there and he called me and he sent me some pictures of the beach and also on the way to Panama City. He sent me some pictures of the car while he was traveling. And when he got reached there, he sent me some pictures of the backyard and the water and everything. And he said, it's so cold. It was cold that time. It was March, so it was cold. And he was so happy, and he his graduation is supposed to be on May seventeenth. So March, April, May, he was he couldn't wait for his graduation, and we planned to go there on his, for his graduation too. Did you know the friends that he was going with? Had you ever met any of them before? Only one I met. Only one that you had met? And how had you met this friend? Because when we went to drop him off at first year, because we live in Albany, New York, so whenever he went there to study, so whenever he come here, you know, we don't have any contact with any of the kids. Only one kid we saw is he's the only one. He's in dental school now. He's the only one I know I saw him when we went to drop him. Had he talked to you about any of these friends? You know, he doesn't say much about the friends. The friends are like friends, you know. He doesn't say anything bad about them or good about them. You know, everybody's doing it. If I ask him, how is all your friends? Mom, everybody's doing good. That's, that's all he says. So I didn't know, you know. For the first few days, the trip appears to be going fine. Shirley has a few communications with her son and she feels no real worry or hesitation. Then, according to police reports, on March 3rd, around 7 p.m., Rennie's friends claim that he had approached them high on LSD, claiming that he wanted to run away and hurt himself. 
I want to then turn to March 3rd and sort of work through those what happened on those days uh, because I've read stuff online, but you know I, I don't know how much of it to believe or, or what of it is is accurate. So according to reports on March 3rd, around 7 p.m, the friends that he had rented that beach house with claimed that Rennie had started acting strangely and making comments about wanting to run away and hurt himself. Does this line up with any kind of Rennie you've ever experienced or witnessed never, in your life? Never, never, ever. Because he he said, Mom, you know, Mom, I, I, I'm not a coward, you know, to run away from life. I have to face it. This kid would do something like this or say something like that. I don't believe it. They had also sort of made the made the excuse or the comment that he had been on drugs or at least this is a common um assumption by police even is this anything that you've also ever known rennie to do ever never never i never thought he would do anything like that and on the same note, being his mom, had you ever noticed any issues in terms of anxiety or mental health issues that might no, affect? nothing at all. Nothing. When was the last time that you spoke to Rennie on the phone, like you heard him? Oh, that's a hard question. March 2nd, 2014, he was in Panama City. He called me, Mom, I love you, you know. And what was his demeanor like on the, on that, on the phone that day? He was good, good. I was happy, you know. He said, oh, I got three interviews and I had interviews next week. And well, after when I come back from vacation, I will have uh, interviews all the time, you know. I have to be ready, and my my daughter went to his dorm room. All his, like, he was ready for four or five interviews. He wrote all the notes on the table, and what clothes he's wearing, all those stuff. So, what do you think about that, you know? The next morning, after their strange encounter with Rennie, his friends report him missing to police. Almost immediately after they report him missing, they cleaned up their beach house, took their belongings, and left Panama City. Why is there this gap in time between when they notice him acting strangely, supposedly, and then when they report him missing to the police? They were saying the police was even saying that within two, if he's an adult, within 24 hours, you can wait if he went away intentionally. But I, one thing I don't understand is if he said that he wanted to harm himself and we were asking, why didn't you stay or why didn't you call us? They are not saying a word to us. I, I don't know. So basically the the excuse on the behalf of the police then is that he's an adult. If he goes missing voluntarily, that's his choice. We can't do anything about it, even though the friends are claiming that he was in a state that might seem like he needs immediate attention. 
And I read in an article, a news article, that he had gone there with maybe like 20 some odd friends and that the next morning, sixteen about 16 of them just leave, right? Yes. They don't even talk to police. They just leave. Yes. They left. They left. And six of them were there. And four of them were his roommates and two girls. They, we begged them. My daughter begged them at least to talk to us. And both of the girls didn't want to c- come out, and they went to Starbucks to buy coffee. So what does that mean? So did any of his friends talk to you? The four, four other ones. The four other the, ones? Yes. So four six stayed, ones. two of them were girls, and instead of talking to you that day, they went to Starbucks, and yes. then four of them then remained to talk to you. Yes. What, what did they tell you? They were saying, one was saying that he went for a walk. One was saying, I don't know. I didn't see him. And one was saying, uh, I was sleeping. One was saying, I went out. So, I don't know. I don't know what to believe. So the the, the four people stayed with you, and they, they told you these varying stories the two other girls went to starbucks and then the 16 or so others that left have you ever spoken to any of those that left? i tried i tried calling all of them but then my lawyer were you know some of them hired lawyers then we will be in trouble because harassing them so then i stopped calling them because we will be in trouble if we call them and they hire lawyers too. If they have nothing to hide, why would they hire lawyers? You tell me. You tell me why. And you've never been able to talk to any of these 16 people? I talked to a couple of them. A couple of them know who I was. I said, this is Shirley Joe's. Then they hung up. Do you believe that the four people that you were able to talk to had any involvement in Rennie's disappearance? I think they know something. They are hiding something. I tell you the truth. I think there is something happened there, but they don't want to get involved in it, so they're just hiding it. They don't want to tell us what happened. I'm not saying that they did something to him, but something happened, they know it. The day he is reported missing, March 4th, some of Rennie's belongings are discovered by police. His clothes are found abandoned on the beach, his cell phone was located in a trash can behind their rented beach house, and his wallet was found inside. On March 5th, the day after Rennie is reported missing to police, his parents arrive in Panama City to help search for their missing son. At this point, authorities believe, based on initial reports from his friends, that Rennie, high on LSD, ran into the ocean and drowned. What did you do when you got there? God. You know, first thing, we went to see the um, uh, sheriffs, whoever was on the case. And he, he just brought some stuff there, and he, said, he just blindly said, Rennie is in the water, you know. There is no, 
he's in the water. Maybe you will find him. It will take maybe one day, 24 hours, 48 hours, then it's 64 hours, then maybe weeks, then months. months. Now they are saying maybe the shark ate him. He would never come back. That's what we're getting. I also read, and I don't know again if this is true or not, so maybe you can confirm this for me, but that the local police had waited three days before they interviewed his friends and that all of the interviews that they conducted with his friends were over the phone and that there's conflicting reports about what his friends had said to police. Uh, It's truth. Why, Why did they wait three days to talk to his friends? Because when we got there... We asked them, you know, did you, did you interview the kids? They were hiding something. They were not telling us the truth. They said, oh, yeah, we did. Then we looked at the report. We said, we want the report. Then we looked at the report. We got the report. Everything was after three days later. If there was foul play involved, was there anything on his clothes or in his cell phone or in his wallet that you know of that would suggest that as happening? I I asked them, is there anything? Did you guys do a DNA on all the clothes? And they said they did, but they couldn't find anything. Anybody else's DNA. That's what the police told me. I see. Okay. And one information I want to tell you is that by the time I got there, I found one of my son's pajamas on the rail and also his um, two, two pair of his socks on the beach. So you were able to go inside the beach house? Yes. And was there anything, did anything seem strange in there or out of place when you went in? By the time, you know, they everything was cleaned up. That's what I'm thinking. Everybody was packed up and gone. By the time I got there, they know we are get, we are going there. So it was all done. Did the police do any sort of forensics? Because I, I imagine that if the investigation was thorough, they would, you know, mark off the beach house, they would fingerprint, they would look for, you know, use luminol to look for blood. Did they do anything like that that you know of? They, they said they didn't mark off anything. Uh, the beach house, they didn't do anything at all. But only thing we know is they are telling us they did everything. That they, they took, you know, fingerprints and DNAs and everything they did. That's what they are telling us. But they said they didn't find any any blood stains or anything there. Speaking to Shirley and researching this case in general, it appears that there are two, possibly three, competing theories for what happened to Rennie the night of March 3rd, 2014. The first theory is the theory adopted by police that Rennie, high on LSD, ran into the ocean and died. The second is the theory that something bad happened to Rennie that night, that he was met with foul play, either intentional or accidental, and his friends, afraid of getting in trouble, covered it up. Regardless which theory is true, Shirley believes that Rennie's friends know more than they're letting on about what happened that night. 
if you could say something to his friends, if his friends were listening to our podcast now, what would you what would you want to tell them? Please, whatever a little information that I could find my son. That's all. I don't want to blame anybody. I just want my son back. Doesn't matter how little it is. Just give me the information so I can bring my kid home. That's the only thing I want in my life. It's just a, you know, the fish, a mother's wish. So it's been two years now, right, since since um, Rennie disappeared. Do you know what the current status of the investigation is for the Panama City Police? They are not doing anything so far. They don't have any new leads. Whenever I call them, they said, we don't have any new leads. Then there's that third possibility. The possibility that Rennie, frustrated by his life, voluntarily went missing. But Shirley dismisses this possibility as not fitting in with the Rennie that she knew. One thing I want to say is that, you know, I could never think him, like, you know, run away or anything. Because he wasn't a kid like that. So I couldn't imagine him, you know, something. He just all of a sudden, oh, I just don't want my life. He wasn't like that. So... I am thinking that if something happened there, if somebody, at least somebody, just open up and say it, you know, it's just a, just a clue, just, just something, so I can bring my son home. Thank you so much, Shirley. Okay. All right. All right. Bye. Bye. Getting off the phone with Shirley wasn't the end of the story for me. There were far too many unanswered questions about who Rennie was and what his life, living almost 2,000 miles away from his parents, was like. I knew that speaking with someone who was with Rennie in Panama City was going to be impossible, so I spoke to a friend of Rennie's who went to college with him at Rice University but who wasn't in Panama City. We spoke on the grounds that she would remain anonymous, mostly because the issue of Rennie's disappearance amongst his friends at Rice University has been an area of contention ever since that trip in March 2014. Will you tell me the first time that you met him or or how you met him? Little background, Rice is set up in a college system, like Harry Potter kind of, so like every college is like you know, like student has its own student body government, like whatever. So every college is very like tight knit. Um, I worked at this pub that had a lot of people from Rennie's college called Martell. Um, so I became friends with all the bartenders from Martell and then gradually like just became friends with a lot of people at Martell that were within that group of people. So like, obviously we worked at a pub, like, you know, we were drinkers and whatever partiers. So like everybody just hung out all the time, got along really well. And so I think I met Rennie at the pub. I think like literally like I served him a beer and that's how we met. Um, but we, yeah, like we, we just were, had the same group of friends. And then after you met him at the pub, did you guys just sort of like start hanging out and sort of build a, a friendship from there? Yeah. We just like, 
first of all, like he was at pub, you know, all the time. So like anytime I'd be working, he would be there. Or like if I just went, he was probably going to be there. And then I hung out at Martell a lot, like on the weekends when I wasn't working. So I would go hang out there. So like, and we had parties all the time and stuff like that. So we never were like, we never like hung out like one-on-one, like just me and Rennie. It was just like mostly always in group settings, but then Rennie and I definitely had um, like a special connection. Like it was always platonic. It was never anything romantic or anything, but like, we definitely understood each other. Like I think on a wavelength, a lot of people didn't. So almost any time we hung out in a group setting, like Rennie and I would always like go off and like have a beer or a cigarette and just talk about something else. So what kind of person was he like? Like, what was he into? What kind of hobbies did he have? Like, this sounds bad, but like my group of friends in college, like we drank in our spare time. Like that's what we did. (laughs) We were in college. (laughs) So honestly, like I can't tell you a single one of my friends hobbies, like, because we didn't have hobbies. Like, (laughs) but Rennie was, so he was mechanical engineering major and he did a lot of like engineering, like competitions or like, classes that were very project oriented stuff like that so in his like weekend time he had a lot of late nights where he was like doing a lot of like competitions and like big projects for his classes and stuff so he was he was pretty into that um i mean and he was also he did a lot of drugs like and that's something that his mom like will never understand and will never admit but like ready out of everybody i knew and i knew a lot of people who did drugs like did a lot like did the most drugs I've ever known in terms of his school was he a good student I mean it sounds like you guys were partying frequently but from also from what I've heard he was a pretty good student so it seems like he he was was able to balance those two yeah and that's the kind of school that Rice is like Rice is just a school of crazy crazy geniuses like mad scientist people like he was one of those people who would be partying all the time and was still like a 4.0 student. And I like, I didn't understand it because he partied on a level that like I never did. And a lot of people, I mean, incredibly smart, very motivated, like always got his shit done. I wanted to walk through the same set of events that I had with Shirley, with Rennie's friend. I wanted to see if some of the strange behavior exhibited by his friends during that trip could be explained from a different perspective. I started with March 3rd, the day Rennie's friends claim he was high on LSD and wanted to run off and hurt himself. Then on March 3rd, his friends claim that he started acting strangely and making comments about wanting to run away and hurt himself. So I guess there's two questions that I have in regards to this. One, does this line up with any kind of Rennie you've ever experienced in your life? And have you ever known him to use LSD specifically? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, Rennie did any any drug that you could possibly think of Rennie had done. So um, I think he tended to like shrooms more than acid. Like, actually... Now that I'm thinking about it, he told me he didn't like acid. And that I remember now, wow, I haven't thought about this in a really long time, was so surprising to me. I was like, why the fuck was running on acid? Because I know he doesn't like that. 
So yeah, Rennie was on acid when it happened. I have never seen Rennie on any like psychedelic drugs. So I don't know if that's typical and I don't know if that's, I know that there's such thing as a bad trip. I've personally never done psychedelics. Um, so it's really possible he was having a bad trip, but I have a couple of like comments on that sure, in general. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so first of all, I tried really, really hard to find out what the fuck happened. <laughs> um, and I asked people who were on the trip. So I tried really, really, really hard to find out what the timeline was. And people just didn't really talk. Like, I didn't get any answers from anybody. Um, so I never really found out. My actually, my pretty much only person who I ever really got to talk about this with was the original private def- um, investigator that they've hired, um, whose name is Mark, I think. Um, and I actually talked to him a lot. And um, he told me... Uh, I don't even know when this was, but I remember saying to him like, Mark, and this was like probably a year, year and a half after it happened. I was like, Mark, I'm just trying to figure out like what the timeline was in terms of the drugs. And he was like, Rennie was not on drugs when it happened. He said from all of his accounts he got, they had done, they had done acid like the night before or something. And acid lasts something like 10 to 20 hours or whatever. So he was like, so unless Rennie took more, which is a possibility, he would not have still been on like on a trip. So that was always Mark's thing was like, it would be like physically impossible for Rennie to drown himself if he were sober, like at seven o'clock PM, you know, when it's still like daylight out in March. So, um, that was always Mark's thing was like, yeah, there's no way he could have killed himself because he wasn't on drugs. You know, you said you sort of searched out, you wanted to know what happened, right? Understandably. Then did you get any sense while you were trying to find out information that like some things weren't adding up or some people were holding information back, like just an intuitive sense or a gut sense? I guess not really. I guess what I didn't understand was why didn't people want to talk about it? Like just in general, like about how fucked up it was and like how we missed our friend and how it sucked. Because like for me, this was traumatic. And the last thing I want to do is internalize it. Like what I want to do is, you know, drink a bottle of wine with my friends and cry about it. Like, (laughs) and that's what I pretty much had to do. Like, but with people that weren't even Uh, you know, I had to go to like other friends who I, you know, like weren't a part of it. So that's what to me has always been such a mystery. Like I've never ever suspected any single person. Like I don't even remember who was there and who wasn't there, honestly. Um, So I never suspected anything, but I just didn't understand how people could so quickly and easily say, yeah, Rennie killed himself when he had never exhibited anything of the nature like yeah like he wasn't the happiest person and yeah he abused drugs and alcohol but like a lot of our friends did that you know he never exhibited he's not like he stood out like he wasn't he wasn't depressed he wasn't suicidal so how did people just accept it so easily i never understood that and i i and that's i think part of the reason why i haven't been able to let go of it 
like, why am I the only person who wanted to talk to his mom? You know, like who wanted to try to figure out what's happening? Like, what do the police know? Like, why am I the only person who's like, um, why did they never find a body when you look at 99% of the cases that are similar and they find a body within two weeks? Why is that not, why is that not surprising to people? Like it's, there's just so much about it that frustrates me. And it's, it wasn't ever suspicious. It's just like, I don't think I'm that special, but am I really just that more like empathetic? <laughs> like, did you, did you ask them this? Oh my God. It's, I've gotten into trouble with my friends. They're like, you need to stop talking about it. And like the last, like it happened, I was on vacation with some of my friends like two months ago and I got, you know, drank a little too much and like started talking about it. And like, you know, the next day they're like, you can't talk about this anymore. You have to stop. And I was like, first of all, I haven't talked about this with you guys in literally years because you won't talk about it. And second of all, like, don't you think the fact that I'm still torn up about it, like, doesn't that say, like, yeah, I do need help. Can you guys help me? <laughs> you know, like, so that's just what's always been so tough about it. Seven PM. He's saying erratic things, making claims about wanting to hurt himself, and it, then he runs off. And it's not until the next morning that his friends report him missing to police. So, do you know why there's this gap in time between when he's acting strangely and suspiciously and when they go to police? I don't know. Um, like, if I think about it from, if I put myself there, everybody's probably been drinking, like, for 48 hours. There's, like, 20 people there. Like, if I put myself there, the reason why that was never that suspicious to me is, like, they probably all thought Rennie had passed out, you know? Like, or everybody was wasted and they were passed out and they just didn't notice. You know, and that's why that was never really like I can totally see why other people are like, what happened in those 15 hours? Like, I get that. But I'm also like, yeah, like I was 20 at the time. Like I. That's I did that, too. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I, I truly don't know. Um, it was really only like one of my friends who I ever talked really like talked about it with and yeah, he basically just said, like, nobody noticed because everybody was fucked up. All right, so then it's the morning of March 4th, and his he's finally reported missing. And then I read from one of the articles that about, like, basically all but four of his friends left. Yeah. Before they could even talk to the police, um, they just left. What do you think is the reasoning for this? No, like that is so hard for me to understand. I mean, like I understand being traumatized and not wanting to be there, but I way, 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 way more understand being traumatized and wanting to like solve the fucking problem. Like, 
I, I don't get it. I think, I think probably what happened, there was probably a lot of drugs and people didn't want to be arrested or like, they didn't, I don't, I think people were just scared. I think they were scared. I, that's all I can think is like, people were just really scared and they panicked and they wanted to go be with each other somewhere that wasn't in this place where their friend just disappeared. Like that's, like uh, that's all I can think of. Were all the people there, were they all close to graduating? Almost all of them. Yeah. were um, senior. It was like senior spring. I mean, the only other thing I could I could think of in terms of justification is sort of the same thing as the night before, where there's just a lot of drugs, a lot of things going on. And, you know, here here I am months away from graduating college. And the last thing I want is for me to get in trouble for having illegal drugs when I'm about to graduate from college right. and go into exactly. the work workforce and, and have to find a job and, and I don't want this on my record. So it's going to be easier for me to just hightail it out of there and deal with it later or not deal with it at all. Exactly. If there's two theories, one that he left intentionally and one that he met foul play, then if he left intentionally, why leave behind the objects that are going to help you get away. And if you left, if he met with foul play, why are these items found in a place that's so easy to find them? I don't know. I've, I've never understood the clothes thing. Like that's the only thing that makes me think like, yeah, he walked into the ocean because how do you walk naked away with your clothes? And like, there's no reports about a naked guy walking down the street. Right. Um, like the only thing that makes sense to me is like, he truly wanted a fresh start. Like he didn't want his phone. He didn't want his wallet. Like, and he was under the influence of something and that just made sense. And he just tossed it and ran. I mean, that's the, it doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense. Like there's not a lot, there's not a lot of logic going into that, but. I mean, even, even the reports that I read online, it's like the police say, okay, he took LSD, he ran into the, he ran into the ocean and he drowned. But then in the, almost in the same breath, it, they'll say, but if someone were to do that, bodies like usually show up like 99% of the time because you can't get that far out into the ocean, um, Mm -hmm. in order for your body to not be washed back onto shore. So. It seems it's weird because they they make one claim so strongly, but then follow mm-hmm. it up with, well, it's not really possible. Yeah. Yeah. They totally botched that case. Like they didn't like like you said, like, you know, they didn't even try to get in touch with people until days later. Like and that's and that's so obvious in all these statements. They're like, oh, yeah, this definitely happened. But maybe it didn't. Like they don't know. Like <laughs> they have no idea. So, um yeah, like I think they're yeah, they're just it makes sense, yes, that this kid walked into the ocean and killed himself, but it also doesn't make sense. Then, last December, Rennie's mother gets a mysterious phone call which leads to a series of events that result in a conversation between Shirley and Rennie's friend. I'll let her explain. So there's a little bit of backstory to this. Um, last December, Mark, the former private investigator, texted me and he said 
somebody called Shirley and said, like, I miss you and I want to come home from a blocked number and then hung up. And like, he texted me that and I like had <laughs> like a breakdown, like had to take work off, you know, like it was, it was crazy. And so after that happened, like he was like, we're trying to figure out what happened. Like, you know, like, please you know, thinking like no one can be so cruel as to do this as like a prank joke. Um, so from that, like I, at some point, like thought about it, thought about it. I had to talk to a lot of people. Like the Dean of undergraduates at Rice was like my mentor through this whole process. Um, and he like, so I had to call him and talk to him. And he basically said, look, if it was Rennie calling his mom, you need to think about the possibility that he could try to contact you. Like, just think about it and think about what you would do. So I did that and like I thought about it and I thought about it and I thought about it and I was like, okay. So I wrote a message on Facebook, like knowing he's probably not monitoring his Facebook account or whatever, but just in case he ever did, like sent him my number because obviously like he wouldn't have my number. He didn't have his phone or anything. Um, and so that's how she got my number and she called me. She really just like sounded like she just wanted someone to talk to about it you know like like she, like she got very emotional with me as well and she was not accusatory but like she did say a lot of things like I know someone's not telling something like I know my son he didn't do drugs he didn't drink and like I was like Shirley like I need you to understand like you have a different image of your son than who he was like I, I I'm sorry like I know that's really hard to hear but like I need you to understand that It sounded like if she needed somebody to talk to and you sort of expressed also that need to have somebody to talk to, was it, was that moment more cathartic? Like, did it provide any closure for you? You know, what, what was your feeling after you got off the phone with her? I think it was kind of cathartic. Um, yeah, I think it was because I don't know really why or what happened, but I have thought about it a lot less since then. Like, I have been able to kind of, which is why when this happened, like, this thing with my friends and, like, when I started talking about it a couple of months ago, like, I don't really know where that came from, you know? Like, um, but, yeah, I think it was probably just finally, like, being able to talk to somebody who thinks he's alive and out there. I'm, I'm the only person who ever has. I'm the only person who ever has. Other than the dean of undergraduates at Rice. Who who has what? Who's believed that he didn't kill himself? Who thinks he's alive? And being the only person who he said anything to. You know, like, that's another part of it. And what did he say to you? So, like, Rennie and I definitely had, like, a connection. And so we would often, like, kind of go off on a party and just, like, talk. And more than once, three to five times, the conversation would, like, steer towards... Um, like our future paths, like what we wanted out of life, what it, family relationships, whatever. And it would all kind of tie into the same theme of like, 
is this like worth it? Not like living, but like this path that we've convinced ourselves is the path. Like, is it really worth it? Or should we just drop all that and go and do what we're truly passionate about? And so he explicitly said more than once, wouldn't it be nice to just leave and start over? Like he explicitly said that. Um, And so that's what was so that was what was so damaging to me afterward was like, Oh my God, like he said that, like he, he definitely, definitely thought about like, he didn't want to be a mechanical engineer. Like he, you know, like he was very like philosophical person. Like he was, you know, like he wanted to, he wanted to explore life. Like like what he wanted to do. Like he did not want to go into this traditional graduate, get a job, move to the big city, get an apartment type of thing. Like that is not what he wanted. And he, made that really clear to me and probably to other people too. But I don't think as far as I could tell, he never gave any indication to other people that like he legitimately thought about starting a new life and actually like not going down this cookie cutter, you know, cog in the machine path that he felt very pressured to be a part of. Um, And so, yeah, so that's, that's why I never believed he was dead. So when you look back on those conversations, then did it ever cross your mind at those times that this is serious or did it seem more like, oh, this is fantasy. Wouldn't it be nice? Um, but, you know, there's no real way I'm going to do this. Yeah, no, I never thought it would be serious. I mean, it's I, I, I did think it was realistic. Like, it's not to say, like, I didn't think, oh, maybe he'll do this. But I was like, if he did it. It would be like a conscious, like external decision that, you know, he would tell like, okay, you guys, I'm taking a gap year and I'm going to go whatever, travel the world. Like I was like, maybe he could really do that. And that's, so that's what I thought about. Like, no, I never thought like he, he never said it in such a way that it was concerning. It was introspective. Like it wasn't like, like laughing about it. Like it was introspective. So I took it seriously and that's why it was, it felt, I felt so guilty afterward because I like, I know he believed, he believed that. So, and I believed him when he said it, I just didn't think it would, you know, you, you, how can you ever expect somebody to just walk off? Like, it's such a betrayal. Like I would never expect that from somebody. I've dealt with a few of these cases where the police just think, you know, that, they did just walk off, right? And that was that was their choice. But then when I actually think about it logistically and I think about what it would mean to leave your life and start a new life, unless you were like mentally not in a right state of mind, it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like in this day and age where we're so connected technologically that that would even yeah. be possible. Like how do you stay off the I radar know. just from a logistic point of view like how do you get a job how do you open a bank account how do you do you know what i mean oh i totally yeah the only response i have is they found like some like journal left behind that he had been writing in like i don't know if it was just like him writing while he was on his acid trip or if it was like i don't know but they found like mention of him talking about like going to tibet and becoming a monk or something so like 
it's not like he wanted to walk off and like go move to a small town and be a person. It was like he wanted to walk off and be gone and like not even be here. But then that also begs the question, like how would he get a plane ticket? Like how would he get somewhere? Like he didn't have his passport, you know, it's stuff like that. So it's like when I think about him leaving, like, yeah, no, he's probably not in Tibet. But if he did leave, he probably lives in a cabin and the woods in Montana, you know, like that's what I think. Like he, I don't know. Like, I don't think he would not have like walked off and left to just be a small person, like living a small town life. Like he would be, he would be gone. So if, if Rennie is out there in a cabin in the woods in Montana or wherever he is, and he were to come across this or to listen to this, what would, what would you want to tell him? Um, I don't think I'd really want to tell him anything. <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds bad, but like, and I, I, you know, I love him and I care about him and like, if he's out there, like, I want the absolute best for him. But I'm also really pissed. I'm really mad. I'm really, I'm upset. If he did do that, if he really did it. Um, and that's like, <laughs> I feel like not the response. Like, a lot of people would, like, want someone that they love and care about to hear. So I don't know if I really want him to hear that, but like, uh, I guess this is what I would want him to know. Like, I want you to come home, but you really, really hurt me. Yeah. And I mean, and a lot of people too, right? Like, and a lot of people and, and it wasn't, it wasn't fair. And I, I know that's like, you know, like to people who have committed suicide, people say it was such a selfish decision and like, but, you know, like he hurt a lot of people, but like, particularly like, I don't want to single myself out, but like he said those things to me. And then if he just walked off, like he had to go back and think about that. So, yeah, I mean, if he's out there, like, here's the thing, like if Rennie's out there, like he is a really, really, really smart really resourceful person like he I don't think would be found you've sort of talked about this at a few different points but I want to ask you explicitly how has Rennie's disappearance like affected affected you and your life like two years later you know how 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 is it still sort of finding ways into your your everyday life um i mean it it changed like it literally changed i think the course of my life um like i had i was in a long-term relationship like that relationship ended because i i couldn't i i was traumatized and i couldn't be in a relationship like i very nearly lost some friendships over it because I like dealt with it the wrong way. Like, you know, I, I damaged friendships over it. Um, I had a real lack of motivation. So I finished college like 
like my senior year, like horrible, like not horrible grades, but for myself, you know, for my high standards, like bad grades, like definitely affected my motivation and like getting a job and like becoming a real person. Um, I mean, I am now and I'm, you know, relatively fine now, but for sure. I mean, I really think it changed like the trajectory of my life, like that relationship, like I very well could have stayed and graduated and gone and moved to be where that person is, you know, but like now, you know, so it, it changed my life. Like, and that's why I feel so, I have so many, like, I want to know and I want to know, I want to know what happened and then I want to be done with it. And I never want to think about it again. Despite the fact that Rennie's mom and friend may have two different pictures of what kind of person he was, doesn't change the fact that they both want the same thing, to find out what really happened to Rennie Dose. And all that extra stuff, whether or not he used drugs, whether or not he was happy with his life, whether or not his friends seemed suspicious, doesn't really matter when it comes down to it because none of that changes the fact that he's still missing and that he could still be out there somewhere. If you have any information about what happened to Rennie Jost, please contact the Panama City Police or visit our website at thinairpodcast.com for our contact information and we can pass it along anonymously. I want to thank both Shirley Jost and Rennie's friend for speaking to me about him. For more information about Rennie, including pictures, please visit our website for show notes. The website again is thinairpodcast.com. We also want to thank a dear friend of ours for supplying some of the music for today's show, as well as Chris Zabriskie, whose music has been featured in a number of our episodes. His music can be found on his website at chriszabriskie.com, or links can also be found on our website. Lastly, this show is largely supported by listeners like you. If you like what we do and you want to support our podcast, please visit our website for links to our Patreon page, as well as our PayPal one-time donation link. Any amount you can pledge per month makes a huge difference in our ability to keep creating this show. Thank you to all of those who have donated so far and to those of you who plan to in the future. 